0: Hey everyone, this is Achutababa from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a look at the sun's upcoming conjunction with the planet Uranus, which is perfecting by the Wednesday of this week. That's May 4th. So uh, this is a really good transit to take a look at. Um, it's one that will be you probably have been feeling already and will be feeling as the week unfolds, not only on Wednesday, but for the next couple of days after that. So that's what we're going to take a look at today and prepare you for um we'll pull up the real time clock in a second in the meantime if you're new remember to like and subscribe share your comments in the comments section always appreciate that click the notification bell for updates you can see when i go live you can always get a transcript of any of my daily talks on my website within 24 hours uh just check it out on the blog at nightlightastrology.com don't forget my new class ancient astrology for the modern mystic is coming up on june 5th i'm really excited we've got lots of people signing up every day now getting closer to our start date just about a month off If you want to check it out and learn more about it, go to my website, nightlightastrology.com. Once you're there, click on the courses page, go to the first year program. You can scroll down and learn all about the class, everything it includes, everything you study and learn. It's ancient astrology. We're looking at a one-year immersive experience, and there's 30 online webinars. They're led uh, by me on Sundays from noon Eastern to about 2 to 3 p.m. They're all about 2 to 3 hours long. So 30 classes on the year, plus we have 12 additional guest teachers that come in. We have interactive group forum discussions that are led by a tutoring staff. We also have, um, you can email me throughout the year. We have breakout study and tutoring sessions in between major units of study. So it is packed full of content and support. There's lots of bonus material should you want to go really deep, or you can kind of go as deep or as light as you want to. A lot of people take the course because this is their hobby. A lot of people take the course because they want to, you know, even take the certification exam we provide at the end and uh, sort of really test their knowledge and and uh, practice for other people, start a professional practice. Lots of people have come through the course that are now prof- uh, practicing professionally, though typically uh, there it is there is a year one and a year two program. So just be aware of that. For people who want to practice professionally, you're probably going to want to go through both year one and year two. Um, you uh, are Glad to, if you have any questions whatsoever about the course, you can always email us info at nightlightastrology.com. And at the very bottom of the page there, you're going to find the payment options. You've got an early bird payment, save $500 off when you pay in full um, prior to the start of the class. There's a 12 month payment plan. If you need to stretch it out a little bit, take advantage of that. Um, Also, if for any reason you are unable to afford the class, uh, we don't like to price people out. So check out the tuition assistance. Um, Always really Uh, happy to make sure that nobody's priced out of studying astrology. Those are limited. So be sure to sign up for that now if you need it. But um, again, just never want to see people priced out of studying something that, you know, is a spiritual topic that anyone should have access to. So we try to make it a really accessible program uh, for people uh, financially. So yeah. And again, any questions, just email us. Happy to uh, help out. All right, well, today we are going to be looking at the sun's conjunction to Uranus and Taurus, which is happening between May 1st and May 8th. Um, it is perfecting on May 4th, so that would be tomorrow on Wednesday. We're kind of getting out in front of this just a little bit because it's the kind of transit that helps to have a little bit of heads up on. Most transits do, but, um, you know, just a, a couple of days in advance. And knowing that it, it stretches out a little bit as well, that that can be really helpful so we're going to go ahead <clears throat> and take a look at the real-time clock. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see it. All right. So here on the real-time clock, you are going to see a... Um, here is the two. Here are the two planets getting together. There's Uranus and the Sun coming together in the sign of Taurus. And they're going to advance uh, through that conjunction... On Wednesday, May 4th, and then you get about three degrees of separation between the two of them, stretching it out till about May 8th. By that time, then just sun's just out of that three degree range, uh, the engagement range that ancient astrologers used. And that's when you're really going to start to notice, okay, like this is, you know, this is wrapping up. So uh, that's what we're dealing with this week. So what I want to talk about today, a few things. Uh, one is what can you expect from the sun conjunct Uranus, but two is what can you expect in light of the fact that we just had an eclipse and that solar eclipse in Taurus on April 30th was moving into the conjunction with Uranus. Both the sun and moon were as the eclipse was forming. So how does that figure into the situation? So remember that a solar eclipse is like a very, very powerful new moon. You think of moon cycles in general like wave sets that are coming through if you're a surfer not that I'm a surfer but I've tried surfing before and really enjoyed it <laughs> but yeah so let's say you're you're surfing and you're, you're you know there's wave sets that come through and then it kind of dies down for a while and then there's more wave sets that come through that's basically like our new and full moons every month and when the new and full moons coincide closely with the nodes of the moon then you're getting eclipse cycles eclipse season and also like, you know, really big waves that come through. It's the same wave sets as usual. They're just bigger, stronger, more powerful. And so <clears throat> that's essentially what a, a solar eclipse is. It's a very powerful, strong version of a new moon. And it has, they have cycles behind them, nine in about 18 years. So this is the reason that they're so strong is also because this is a moon cycle that has deep history behind it. This is a part of a, a longer cycle where karmic, themes, recurring karmic elements are coming up to the surface. Sometimes you can think of the nodes of the moon themselves as like a river that's running through the chart with currents flowing in two opposite directions simultaneously. And whenever the eclipses come through, the river rises up and floods over. So powerful new moon is a time of seeding, new beginnings. And what what does that mean exactly? Let's look at what Vettius Valens, an ancient Roman astrologer, had to say about the sun. He said, the sun, which is cosmically mind and daimon on account of his own activity and lovely nature, stirring up human souls for undertakings, is established as a cause of action and movement. That is really interesting. So, broadly speaking, the sun is associated with this concept of daimon, which is like an an image, like an ideal image, but also maybe a spiritual entity that sort of is both an entity and an image. And the image as this entity captures your mind and imagination, and it causes you, compels you, to act toward the realization of that image in conformity with the shape of that image. So this is why the sun is associated with that seed image in your birth chart, for example, that your life will conform to in terms of the actions, movements, and ambitions that your life takes. You'll, you'll move toward the sun just like the sun moves toward the top of the sky. There's something that compels you toward the images of the sun by sign, by house, and some of the aspects being made to the sun, for example. So <clears throat> as such, what is the moon? by In relation, the moon is about the environment that we're born into. If the sun is an ideal image, like an archetype, for example, then the moon is going to tell us about the way that the environment actually produces things, that there's an ideal, and then there's the way that things actually turn out in form and embodied life here on, in the sublunary sphere down on earth. So the sun moon as a tandem, as a duo in ancient astrology have a lot to do with the sense of action that we're compelled to, these ideal images that drive the soul towards some some destined sense of calling or with some destined sense of calling or purpose. And the moon has to do with the environment and the, the, the actual forms and shape that the environment takes. And then you look at the two to get a sense of you know, how does the environment, is the environment conducive to the desires that the soul has? Or how are they helping each other or hindering each other? And so forth. For example, someone might be born with the desire to be a rock star, but the environment may be such that they don't, let's say that they don't have a particularly supportive environment for developing their voice or becoming a musician or whatever, for any number of reasons. You would look at those things and get a sense of the desires and then the actual environment and how they get along. So at the beginning of every moon cycle, when the Sun and the Moon are coming together and they conjoin at the very start, that's why we call it a seeding moment, because you have an ideal image that's being born. Images are always changing within us every month and in a lot in relation to the configurations of our birth chart New desires are being born in us, new ideal images that our actions will try to conform themselves to will take shape within us. That's why every moon cycle in a new moon, you can look at the whole sign house that it's forming in, the aspects that the new moon is making, and get a sense of what images will compel the narrative for the next lunation, okay? But then as the lunation unfolds, the environment will give feedback and will take shape in a way that is either... You know, contrary to or in support of or some mix uh, with the original seeding image and intention, you could say, or desire. So, the sun, which is cosmically mind and daimon, an account of his own activity and lovely nature, stirring up souls for undertakings, is established as a cause of action and movement. So, a big new moon with a lot of history behind it, and one that is slowly moving into a conjunction with Uranus what does that mean? Let's take a moment to think about Uranus, a a planet that is most frequently associated with the god or the sort of demigod, semi-demigod. I think he's a god, Titan, half god, half, I don't know. I don't know exactly what his status is, but it's Prometheus. From Ascleus, uh, in prometheus bound for it would be better to die once and for all than to suffer pain for all of one's life and also another quote time shall be the limit of my suffering so prometheus steals the fire from the gods for his transgression he's chained to the side of a cliff now he steals the fire to enlighten human beings to give them something that he feels like should not be kept and kept from humans so in in a sense he's a hero of the people uh stealing fire from the gods and bringing it to the people so that they have some knowledge or skill or technology that the gods have that he thinks the humans should have too, right? So, this is kind of the background. Then for for his transgression of stealing from the gods, he's chained to the side of a cliff and I think it's a vulture or an eagle or something comes and, you know, disembowels him and then he's healed and made to go through the whole thing the next day. Eventually, Chiron takes his place And these are where some of these sentiments come from. It would be better to die once and for all than to suffer pain for all of one's life. So, you know, rather than having to endure this in- inevitable, endless suffering, he wants to be set free. He wants to be unbound and just, like, let let go. And it's interesting because the same basic impulse to set people free and free them from their mortal... uh boundedness ends up being present in, you know, when he's, when he's suffering for his transgression, there's this feeling of like, set me free rather than, you know, eternal torture, right? (laughs) Just being forced to um, sort of be tortured and reborn and tortured and reborn all over again, all the time, like just set me free. And also this, second sentiment time shall be the limit of my suffering you know like there's an impulse toward liberation and in both it's positive and negative connotations that in the impulse for freedom and liberation and a godlike nature there is something that can be transgressive there is a kind of hubris that's there on the other hand um you know, the 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 natural inclination toward freedom and divinity is also something that uplifts and inspires. There's a it's a it can be a double-edged sword. And th- this is the, the the getting right into like the nexus of Pro- Prometheus. Now that's this eclipse. So a new image being born, being seated very powerfully with a lot of history behind it, engaging with Uranus, this desire to be free that's both problematic and promising. At the same time as the sun conjoins with uranus the idea is that the image the the ideal image and this is a big one again because it's an eclipse the ideal image is transforming that there's something about what we want or what we desire in some area of our life relatives let's say to the whole sign house of taurus in your birth chart that the the ideal image is changing <clears throat> so here are five Sun-Uranus themes that you can expect from this particular conjunction, given that background with the solar eclipse just behind it. So these are five themes. One is the breaking of an image. So the breaking of an image means the realization that an image that has compelled us, that we have been acting with or under the power of, is being broken. Now that can be an iconoclastic moment a moment of purposely shattering some ideal that previously we held, that we held ourselves to, that our life conformed to. And so the need to break that conformity, to shatter it, even sort of defiantly, or almost it might be that it it sort of has to be in defiance because the thing about ideal images is that they're cast in the golden light of the sun. So we're compelled with... all of the most noble things, you know, or compelled by those those images with this. And they, they carry this costume of nobility, beauty, golden light. This is what I want. This is what I'm doing. How could I do anything else? It's It's golden like the lion. So when Uranus and the sun get together at the outset, there can be a way in which you have to disappoint or break the pride of the lion that's infused within some previously held solar ideal that our lives have conformed to. Now it's time to break that image. And sometimes that's very disruptive. That's very challenging. There's complex feelings of guilt and shame wrapped up in it, but also bravery and courage. Sometimes it's foolhardy to break such images, and we're doing so in a reckless way that we don't even understand yet. And other times we need to break those images. So it's very complex. Every soul is in a different place. The breaking of an image. Two, the sudden appearance of an image. So sometimes it's not so much break the old image, defy the old conformed ideal that we've been conforming to. We don't have to break it necessarily. It's that suddenly... Out of nowhere, like a lightning striking a tree and lighting it on fire, and it becomes this burning bush, there is a new image compelling my soul. And this image is capturing the imagination just as surely as the lion is big and proud and golden and strong and, and cast in this, this aura, right? So, in its, but it has this illuminating, sudden quality. So, something like that can come in. Now, in a feminine sign like Taurus, in an earthy sign like Taurus, it is not as instantaneous and epiphany-like and sort of manic as it might be in a masculine sign. It's going to be more process-oriented, it's slow, it's emerging gradually. So this is like a little bit more process-oriented, so you might not, I'm saying I'm using images that are very fast and sudden. It could be a little bit slower and more process oriented with this one because it's in a feminine sign in those signs, a solid feminine sign like Taurus, a little bit slower in, in its emergence. So it might be more like a, the, the image appearing like a big, beautiful, um, you know, uh, com- com- compelling vision, but it's not, not necessarily like in one moment. Right. So just remember that, too. It can it can kind of appear just gest- gestate a little bit more. <clears throat> Number three. Is the desire for escape, freedom, and liberation. So, this uh, this new image that appears sometimes it it doesn't it's not even that that it's a specific thing as much with the sun and Uranus as it is the desire for change, escape, freedom, liberation that can be very consuming or very overwhelming. And it's sometimes it's hard to know which direction to go in with it. I want to be free. Does that mean I'm supposed to quit my job? Am I supposed to break up with my boyfriend? Am I supposed to suddenly chop off all my hair? Like what, where is the seeking expression? And so the advice here is if it's not specific, if it's just the impulse for change, make it meaningful, think on it, sit with it. Don't just don't just lop off your hair, you know, be, You know, unless it's really what you want to do. You know, let, let the specific image appear. Sometimes it just shows up as a desire for change, escape, freedom, liberation. In order to make sure that that's the healthy kind of escape or the healthy kind of freedom, you have to be patient with it. So there's a need for that. And this is one of the downsides is this transit of the sun Uranus can be highly impatient and ironically for as open and progressive as it may seem can be very intolerant. The reason for this is that the sudden, when we're caught by a new image, Daimon is like a, a, a spiritual impulse. Notice what Valens said, let's go back to it. The sun, which is cosmically mind and Daimon on account of his own activity and lovely nature, Stirring up human souls for undertakings. There's the hashtag grabbed. We are constantly grabbed by images that we think are of our own making. As Auden said, we are lived by powers that we pretend to understand. James Helman loved to quote that. Similarly, the daimon, the sun, especially Sun Uranus, can give us this stroke of genius. Oh, look at what I've just come up with. Oh, my new ambition, my new intention. There's so many people in New Age movements talking about intentions, right? And well, we don't realize from the ancient standpoint how many of our intentions are actually moments of being grabbed and seized by something that we're pretending came from us because we're just ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant, meaning we're bad people. I just mean that we, we, We are so not aware of all of the magical forces and powers of creation, gods, forces of nature that flow through us, that we are in concert and community with all the time. It's really actually quite a labor in our lives uh, that requires reflectiveness and practice and uh, developing an inner awareness and relationship with the gods and the forces of nature and so forth, the archetypes to understand where our agency is and where the influence of other energies resides. It's, it's not easy. Like even for someone, you know, people who meditate their whole lives, spend every day meditating. It's still like, it's very, it's a very subtle thing. I experienced this as a, a regular meditator for years in my life. Right. And it's still something that I'm always just completely, I'm boggled by sometimes how something that I think is coming from me is something I realize I've been totally seized by. You know, so remember uh, on account of his own activity and lovely nature. See, that's it's seductive, it's like Cupid. The things that come in through the sun and Uranus are very attractive, they're very lovely, and they but they also grab us so intensely that there can be this, you know, one of the signs that we're being grabbed is often that the reflective relational quality with ourselves and an impulse, with ourselves and an image, vanishes and suddenly there is an intolerance for anything but moving toward that image. And so you have to be a little aware of that. Now, that's not always a bad thing. Like sometimes that you're just in alignment or you're in a flow and, you know, it's natural. But those other times, like the, the byproduct of being seized by this is really an aura of intolerance. It has to be this way, and then often we're, one of the reasons we're seduced by the intolerance is because we think, well, the thing that I'm moving toward is so beautiful, it's so lovely, it's so it's it's cast in that golden light. <clears throat> and number five, a new conformity. So most of us in our lives don't like the word conformity. You know, we're like, I'm not a conformist, right? Uh, I don't conform. I think original thoughts, and I do. Things that I, you know, are unique to me and so forth. Um, to my mind, it's, it's, we are mostly, a lot of us are, even those of us who probably pride ourselves on being, you know, original, unbound, free. We, we, we forget that freedom and originality and spontaneity are like the other side of the coin with conformity to conform to something and to be free from something to bind to something and to be loosened from something there it's an ever moving dance between the two of those things and it's not good or bad it's just like you know how could you possibly how could you possibly judge the the squeezing and releasing that's just present in nature and it's present in us in things that we like to call spontaneity and freedom versus conformity too It's there in our psyches, like as natural as, you know, um, as natural as flowers closing up and opening again. So, the point here is that when a new image comes into our life, no matter how progressive or free it is, in in theory, in, in our mind's eye, no matter how liberating it is, ironically, there is often new requirements, new demands that the new image will place on us to conform to a new ideal. Let's say that you're sober. You're now set free from the bounds of alcoholism, but now you have to conform to the life of a 12-step program. So there's, there's always new commitments and new ways in which, in, in order for a new ideal, no matter how powerful, positive, liberating from an old one that it may be, will still require us to conform in some way, to, to mold ourselves to the demands of the new image that's always happening. So um, just be aware of the fact that there you know there's impatience and intolerance that can come in with Sun Uranus at the opening of an eclipse uh, this new thing that's capturing me that's grabbing me and might be a little intolerant at the same time, every new image, every new path, every new ideal that enters our life for however long it does, new season of our life it will, demand that we conform our heart and soul and our activities, our imagination must conform to that image because we're we're method acting, right? So, it, it, we must take the shape of the image that compels us. It's really good going along the way to not go so deep into the method acting that we forget completely who we are, that there's no realization that, hey, I'm method acting. Um, this is why, you know, we study astrology. This is why we look at the transits so that we have, we can keep some reflective distance. In this world, the, the most dangerous thing that the ancient mystics seemed to say over and over again was, you know, the prisoners in this world are the ones looking at those shadows thinking that's all there is. They conform so deeply to the images that compel, that guide. But the thing is, is that in this world, it's a never-ending cycle. So, so samsara, it just never ends. So, For it to be anything but a a a rat race or a hamster wheel that's ultimately frustrating, painful, and that you're you're just it's just a spin cycle of suffering, is that we develop a reflective, soulful capacity to relate to what we experience, and in that capacity, um, that is that is our godlike nature, you know. And so um, it's interesting that the one in in a way the the downside of Prometheus is that. Now let's go back. Time shall be the limit of my suffering. But what did Plato say? Plato said, time is the moving image of eternity. So the, the thing is, is that when we're addicted to one new image after another, one new thing after another, progress, worshiping at the altar of the future, whether it's technological or cultural or political, the problem with that is that there's such little there's such little ability to see time as the moving wheel of eternity. Right, we we get addicted to time, which means then we have very little patience for the suffering that comes with it. We can't. We're we're addicted to newness because we feel like time is this linear thing, and and the good stuff is always in the future somewhere. And you know, Prometheus is set free by Chiron, and this is an It's an interesting dynamic because he's a Christ-like figure. Chiron is who comes and um takes the place of Prometheus. Now Chiron has been wounded. Um, He's been wounded. uh, He's an immortal who's been wounded by um, an affliction that sort of can't be healed. So he has to endure suffering eternally. And he sort of willingly does that. And that's in a sense what we're doing too. We're not falling victim to the idea that, well, the, the happiness lies just around the corner if I can just realize this next new thing you know, that, that there's, there's, there's excitement here, you know, don't get me wrong. There's, there's great value to the progressive freedom seeking inspiration of Prometheus, but there's also an inherent impatience and an unwillingness to see time and eternity as, you know, ref, time is reflective of eternity. There's this unwillingness to in, endure things that are inherently limited um, and and to be able to find the unlimited in the limited, that's that's the meaning of the cross, the intersection of the horizontal and the vertical. That that whether it's Chiron or Christ or any other, you know, the Bodhisattvas, this is the this is our task. So don't be seduced by the newness. Uh, we endure the newness just as much as we endure the tiresome qualities. We endure it with reflective curiosity, a good sense of humor, creativity, love, joy, the eye of a poet. Uh, but, but be careful of the temptation to, um, you know, Pro- Prometheus worship at the altar of uh, freedom from limits, uh, worship at the altar of progress at all costs. That's a trap if we fall into it. And this is at the, the heart of, of the interchange between Chiron and Prometheus. It's like an, an alchemical, learning that happens at the heart of that story. Anyway, there's there's lots more to say. There's not just one lesson in a story. There's so many things to be learned from the story of Prometheus. But with the sun Uranus, I hope that this gives you some illumination around what's happening in the sky right now with the recent eclipse. Look at that whole sign house of Taurus in your birth chart if you want to get a feeling for where some of this might be taking place. Thank you guys for listening today. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments in the comment section. Click the notification bell for updates when I go live. You can find transcripts of my talk. Uh, talks on my website, usually within 24 hours, nightlightastrology.com. And don't forget the new class, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic, starts on June 5th. Can't wait to study with some of you guys. Really looking forward to it. We will see you all tomorrow. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.